All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Uh, LifePoint family, welcome back. And guests, welcome. If it's your first time here, uh, we're thrilled that you're here. My name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus. And uh, again, just grateful to have you uh, with us today. Uh, Great way to start off the morning, right? Baptizing, celebrating new life in Christ. We've got three more at the 11 o'clock, and so we're just thrilled to get to celebrate all that God is doing. And in light of that as well, just wanted to take a moment. I wasn't here last weekend. I was teaching at our uh, sister church up in uh, Mount Vernon and celebrating all that God's doing up there. But just wanted to celebrate with you again. Easter Sunday, we had uh, far more folks than we've ever had join us on a single Sunday morning come with us. And I know a lot of folks invited, and we prayed together that God would just bring a lot of folks to hear the gospel. And so I believe the Lord answered that prayer. As we have experienced this season of just a lot of growth in our church, you guys know, you know, we're finishing up renovation here. And so just a reminder, we're here at three services again next Sunday, 8 a.m., 9, 30, and 11. If you have the ability to go to the 8 a.m. and make room for folks here at the 9, 30, and the 11, that'd be awesome. And then online for two Sundays, May 7th and May 14th, and then back in person on May 21st. When we come back in person, and we do anticipate right over the summer and Lord willing into the fall as we grow, um, and it just requires all of us jumping in to serve, to be healthy as a church family. I think serving helps you personally grow in your walk with the Lord. I think it helps us be healthy as a church as we gather on Sunday morning. So just wanna encourage you, May 21st, when we get back, there's a life team orientation that day. So if you're new and you're using LP Guest or if you have the Life Point Ohio app, hit the events tab and you can actually register for life team orientation today. Let us know. That's where you'll learn how do I serve on a team here on a Sunday morning. And if you know like right now where you wanna serve, great. If not, Life Team Orientation should help with that. And I'll just say specifically a little plug for LifePoint Kids. If you'd ask Ann right now, our LifePoint Kids director, she's like, man, it's great. And I'm a little nervous about coming back on the 21st and expanding into a new, another room in LifePoint Kids. So uh, if you are like, man, I could serve. I could jump in and serve in LifePoint Kids. You can email her directly. Just email her today and say, hey, I'd be willing to step into the gap there and help serve in kids and invest in the next generation. Secondly, uh, hopefully you got some life group catalogs when you came in. So if you've been part of our church for any length of time, you know our life groups are pivotal and central to who we are. We gather large on Sunday mornings, we gather small, in our life groups throughout the week here and and in homes, a lot in homes. And so uh, those will launch again. We're on term break right now, a couple of week break here. And then on May 7th, we're gonna launch again uh, the next term of life groups. So you'll notice we aren't meeting in person that day. So it's just gonna require a little extra work on our part. If you're new, man, let us help you find a group, utilize the catalog, find a day that works best for you. And you can look and see all the groups that are listed there uh, for the Delaware campus. And uh, and you can just reach out to the life group Uh, directly uh, email them and say, hey, I'd love to jump into your group. But if you need any help getting into a group, reach out uh, to one of the staff members. We'd love to help you uh, find a group. Well, we are, uh, we're in this playlist series. This is week two. We're kind of picking out a few Psalms and looking at this idea that God has written the lyrics of our souls in the book of Psalms, in the Psalms. And Jeff Huff did a great job last week kicking us off. And one of the things I love that he said, he said, you know, the book of, Holmes, the book of Psalms is the hymn book of the human race. That the book of Psalms is the hymn book of the human race. That I think what he means by that is we see the full range of human emotion, the full range of the human experience, the frustration, the doubt, the praise, the worship, what I'll call defiant hope this morning, hope in the midst of pain, reflected in these songs. 
these poems. And this morning we're gonna be looking at Psalm 42 and 43. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there or open there. It'll be on the screens as well. We're gonna read all the way through 42 and all the way through 43. Some people would say these two Psalms actually form one Psalm, that they were originally one. Some say, no, they're two. Even if they're two, they go together. They're purposefully set next to each other because as you look at them, they form really one poem or one prayer. And as we're gonna see this morning, so I've called the message today, Faith's Refrain. A refrain is a statement, a line in a song or a poem that you keep coming back to. You say a bunch of stuff and then you come back to that refrain. You say a bunch more stuff and then you come back to that refrain. And we're gonna see the psalmist do that this morning where he expresses the emotion and the hurt and the fear and the doubt and God, I feel far from you. Lord, where are you? But then he comes back to this refrain of hope of saying, Lord, as we're gonna see, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope in God in the midst of this. And I'm gonna argue that in similar ways, you and I, we're seeing the psalmist give us a pattern here for our lives, that we need to have these refrains of faith, statements that we come back to, truth that we come back to in the midst of life's circumstances, in all the feelings and all the emotions, to come back to these refrains of faith and say, God, I'm gonna praise you in the midst of the storm. So let's look at Psalm 42. Verse one, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So just right there, sometimes if you have been around church, you've grown up in the church, right? You've, you've probably heard that phrase, that statement before. Um, you might even have a picture of this in your house, right? These, we often see these verses depicted in artwork and, and nothing wrong with that, right? In fact, the scenes are usually very beautiful, right? It's like a deer and there's a stream and it's in the woods. Have you seen this, right? There's usually the flowing script and it's always in the King James and it says, right? As the deer panteth for the stream, so panteth my soul for you, O God. And you're like, it's really beautiful and serene. And it is. Here's the thing. As I was thinking about it this week, I'm not sure that captures what the, what the psalmist is really saying. I'm not sure that that serene, beautiful scene captures the emotion and the feeling of the psalmist. What he's saying here is, Lord, like the, like the deer is panting, like where's water? I'm dying. The psalmist is saying, Lord, that's the way I feel right now toward you. I'm, I'm spiritually dying. I'm spiritually thirsty. Lord, where are you? I can't be with you. I don't feel your presence right now. We don't know all of the circumstances of the, this psalm, but what we do know is the psalmist right now can't be in the temple. He's separated physically from the temple and he used to, as we're gonna see, he used to actually lead worship in the temple. And the temple for the Israelites represented, that's the very presence of God. And he's saying, man, I'm separated from God's presence and I feel it. I feel disconnected. I feel distant. I am so spiritually speaking, thirsty. It's a, I had a buddy of mine, a um, college buddy come visit us recently, he and his wife, and they came to the house and had dinner with us. And, and he said, he was telling us a story about they went hiking out in the mountains of California and I don't know if they got lost or, or if it just took way longer than it should have but he's like he's like dude at like 16 18 hour hike 
and they ran out of their food and supplies. It kind of got dicey there for a while. And he said at one point in time, he was so thirsty. He said, okay, I'm walking. And I looked down and he's like, and, and I'm going to call it a stream, but he's like, but it wasn't a stream. He's like, it was like this little nasty, murky mud sort of sliding, oozing out of like a rock. And he was like, oh, that looks really good, right? He said, I was so thirsty. He's like, Kale, in a normal setting, you would look at that and be like, that's disgusting. He said, the way that I felt though, I was so thirsty that I looked at it and just thought, I might give that a try. I think in some ways that's the psalmist here. It's that kind of, Lord, where are you? I'm dying of thirst. You go on, you can see it in verse three, right? The weight of emotion. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? My tears, it's a season of weeping for him, a season of sadness, a season of looking back at better times. All the while, he says, his enemies, the people oppressing him are saying, where's your God? This wouldn't happen to you if God loved you. If he were real, right, then why is he allowing this to happen? Verse four, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. He's remembering when he would help lead worship in the temple with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. But then he comes here to verse five. This is the first of three times he will say this exact line to himself, this exact refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Speaks to his own heart and soul in the midst of the suffering and says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. In other words, the suffering, it won't last forever. I will praise God again. I will again be in his presence. He goes on in Psalm 42, verse six, and says, my soul is downcast within me, is cast down within me. So back to the expression of emotion and suffering. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. Those places, right, are, he's not in Jerusalem. He's physically separated again from Jerusalem and from the temple. And so he's looking from a distance, right? And saying, oh man, I'm here, but I'm remembering you, Lord. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. In other words, he's saying, oh Lord, the suffering is almost overwhelming. It's like I'm in the ocean. I feel like I'm drowning. And yet you notice he says, your breakers and your waves come over me. So he's saying God's not absent in the midst of it. It feels that way. The truth is though, it's actually God is the one who's, putting him through this, this season, as we'll talk about, right, for reasons. When God leads us through the valley, he is the one leading us. It's his waves and his breakers. And then here in verse eight, after once again expressing the emotion and the heartfelt hurt, verse eight, if you put the two Psalms together, verse eight is the dead center and it forms the centerpiece of the whole thing. In the midst of the lament and the suffering, is this statement of truth about God's love. Verse eight, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. By day, he commands his steadfast love. He has not left me, he has not abandoned me. He commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
And then right back into the lament, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? (laughs) Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Second time now, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He goes on in verse one of 43, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. Now an appeal to God, really for justice in some ways, vindicate me and against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. And yet, here we are, why have you rejected me? God, you're good and I'm taking refuge in you. Where are you? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Verse three is one to highlight for sure. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Send out your light and your truth, Lord. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Let them bring me into your presence. And then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God. That was an instrument for them, right? So he's basically saying, I'm gonna go turn on the playlist, right? I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna sing to you in the midst of this. Oh God, my God. Why are you cast down on my soul? Final time. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let me pray for us. Father, it's a heavy message in some ways because it's, they're heavy psalms. These are psalms of suffering, psalms of lament. And at the same time, God, there's this stream of hope here, this current of defiant hope of praising you in the midst of it all. So God, I pray for us today that you will help us to understand. Uh, Father, I pray for those who are here today uh, who are in the valley in a season of just difficulty where the clouds seem dark. And hope is difficult to see and feel. God, I pray for those of us who are not there, but Father, at some point will be. Lord, through this text and by your spirit, will you help equip us? Will you help us to press into you and understand maybe a little more of, God, what you're doing in the midst of suffering and more than that, just that you remain good in the midst of it and encourage our hearts today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to really, for the rest of our time, talk through uh, two things, what I'm going to call the normality and the necessity of suffering, the normalcy, right, or normality, and the necessity of suffering. It's a psalm of suffering, of lament, and yet, like I said, this psalm of defiant hope. And the reason I point to those two things, right, we're going to talk about the normality, the normalcy of suffering is part of the human experience and we'll talk about the necessity of it. What, what is God doing and why must we walk that road? We've talked about this before, but if I were to summarize our, what I sense our society's uh, view on suffering, its perspective on suffering, I would probably say something like this, that our society views suffering as something that robs us of a happy and comfortable life and it should be avoided at nearly all costs. I think that's in some ways the normative view, whether it's relational, mental, physical, uh, spiritual, it's, and some of it's understandable. Nobody likes suffering, right? We want to get away from it. But I think by and large, our 
culture tends to approach suffering as, okay, something is deeply wrong and this makes us uncomfortable and it robs us of a happy life, so we need to get away from it so we can get back to being comfortable and happy. I think the biblical perspective on suffering is deeper than that and ultimately more meaningful and more helpful. And I think the biblical perspective on suffering would be something like this. It is part of the human experience and it's a road we must walk in order to follow Jesus and know him more deeply. It's part of the human experience and it's a road we must walk if we are to follow Jesus and know him more deeply. That's why I say the normality, the normalcy of suffering, right? It's part of the human experience and the necessity of suffering. If we're gonna be Jesus followers, and that's what we are. For those of us who've accepted Christ, as we walk that road, Jesus promised us suffering, but there's a purpose in it. And so let's, let's talk first about just the normalcy or the normality of suffering, that it's part of the human experience. If the Psalms are the hymn book of the human race, I find it very interesting that they are not, so there are 150 Psalms and they're not all happy. Many, many, many of them are suffering, songs of suffering, songs of lament, songs of, Lord, I feel discouraged. And, and when we hurt, right, in some ways, the book of Psalms gives us this permission to say, Lord, when, when we're hurting, we, we question, we cry, we can get emotional, and that's okay. God's big enough to handle that. We serve a God who's big enough for us to come to him with the doubts and with the anger and with the frustration and with the honesty of just saying, Lord, I feel, I feel distant from you right now. You feel distant from me. Where are you, God? What are you doing in the midst of this? Look, look back at verse three and four. My tears have been my food day and night. I'm just crying myself to sleep. My, why, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. He goes on, then we read it twice. Where are you, God? Why have you rejected me? God, what are you doing in the midst of this? He is expressing, in some ways, the full range of emotion, and I think giving us permission to do so. And I, I think that the narrative has changed a fair bit in the last decade or so around, and it's okay to express when you're hurting, though I still think there's a fair bit of a, a stream, particularly in, the, in Christian circles, where sometimes we still push again, no, like if you're doubting, just kind of keep that to yourself, right? We're not allowed to question God. You know, if we're, if we're angry over something, let's just, let's just stay positive. And so you sort of shove that stuff down. And the psalmist is saying, no, I'm not just sitting here suffering silently alone. I'm taking it to the Lord, to others. I was reminded of this, uh, Morgan and I were visiting my, my folks a week ago and uh, we got in the car to go home and uh, partly the kids were just tired, but three of our four, right? Brooklyn, the one-year-old didn't know what was going on, but three of the four just start spontaneously weeping as we leave their driveway. And we're like, what in the world is wrong, right? And, we, and, and one by one, they're like, I miss Grammy, you know, like I miss grandpa. We're gonna miss them so much. And they start weeping and it's like a chain reaction. It started with one, then moved to the other, then moved to the other. And we're just like, we're kind of tired and mad. And, and the initial response was just like, stop. You're gonna be fine. It's okay. And then it was like the Lord kind of checked us, I think, and reminded us, hey, it's okay. And we were able to just say to them, hey, guys, that's okay. You can cry if you want to, which means you had a good time and you're sad to leave. And that's okay. It's okay to express those things. It's okay. It's good and it's healthy. Now, 
Are there unhealthy ways to express the frustration? Sure. The scriptures say be angry and don't sin, right? You don't curse God in the anger and shake your fist at him. You don't take it out on others in unhealthy or sinful ways. But there are also healthy and necessary ways in which we need to not bottle it all up, but be allowed and encouraged and given permission to express it. So for some of us, like that was worth the price of admission for you today. You're gonna go home today and you're like, I know what my application point is, right? What did you learn at church? I need to go have a good cry. I just need to go cry. I just need to go be sad for a bit and that's okay. And yet, even as you do that, let's note, here's something so important. Notice what the psalmist does. He balances the expression of raw emotion and sadness and lament with a choice to focus on truth and hope and to speak that to his own soul and to ask God, will you send it out? Let it lead. Go back to 43 verse five, right? In the midst of the crying, in the midst of the pain, he's like, I'm not gonna let despair have the last word. I'm gonna cry out to God, God, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Not, not my feelings leading me. I gotta express those, they're real. But Lord, let your light and your truth lead me. In other words, God, remind me of the things that are true. In the midst of the suffering, help me to see the situation from your perspective with your light that lights up the darkness, that pierces it, with your truth that guides me. And then what? I'm gonna remind myself of those things. Faith's refrain three times in the midst of the suffering. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? And what are, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope, he's kind of gently chiding his own soul, Right? Keep your head up, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The suffering won't last. The day will break again. That's a choice that the psalmist makes in this moment of loneliness and despair. To not let despair have the last word, but instead to say, I'm gonna praise you in the middle of the pain. I'm gonna sing in the midst of the storm. And listen, I don't think he feels that in that moment. I don't think he writes hope in God because he feels hopeful. I think he writes that because he's speaking to himself, lift your head in the midst of this and see the goodness of God. I had a a church member come in this week and I asked her if I could share this. She said, sure. She just said, look, this is a season where she said, I know these things here. I know them intellectually, but I feel distant from God. I feel disconnected from God. He feels so far away, a little bit like the psalmist, right? Like, Lord, I remember back here when I felt your presence, but I don't don't feel it anymore. And we just sat down, we just read Psalm 42 and 43. And I think, I'm not saying it fixed everything, but I think it spoke to her soul about, look, the psalmist felt this. People feel this at times. It, It happens, there are seasons like this, but we have a choice in those moments as we express to God, Lord, here's how I feel. We have a choice to say, but I'm gonna sing in the midst of the storm. Listen, sometimes worship, sometimes worship flows out of us just in response to the goodness of God. And there are moments of such devastating beauty in life that the circumstances, we feel it. It flows out of you like, God, thank you for who you are and for the goodness of you in this moment. And other times worship is a deliberate choice that we make to say, God, you're still worthy in spite of how I feel. God, I'm worshiping you and I'm praising you for who you are, praising you for who you are, even in the midst 
of these terrible circumstances. I'm choosing to say, Lord, the the storm clouds, they're dark. (laughs) And it's hard to feel and see hope right now because the sun, it's blocked out. But I know that, I know the sun is still there. (laughs) It doesn't mean the sun has gone. It may not feel in view right now, but I know it's still there. God, I know that you're still good. And I'm making a deliberate choice to choose to worship you and praise you in the midst of the pain. I wanna offer to you, and maybe this is a lot of, uh, maybe too much info, and I don't expect anyone to remember all of these, but I wanna offer three ways. Maybe one of these will be helpful to you. Three ways that you, you choose to worship in the midst of these things. When you're in the valley and you're suffering, Morgan and I, in just the last year of our life, some of you know some of the things that have gone on. And listen, I'll share a little, some personal things, but I know some of you are walking, you've walked the road of suffering longer than I have. And you've gone deeper than I have. And I don't always know why. But these are some of the things that have been helpful to to Morgan and myself as we've walked some of that road and God has led us through that and the waves and the breakers have come over us in a way that felt overwhelming at time. One, hold fast to the word. Hold fast to the word. And one of my favorite illustrations, right? Uh, Reading an author who said, "We, we we have to steep soul steep in the word. So I, I really like tea, right? Not like the weird tea, like the normal tea, right? Sometimes people will get me and they're like, look at this tea. I'm like, man, hot cinnamon, if I want hot cinnamon spice tea or whatever, if I want to eat big red gum, I'll just get the gum, right? Like that's what it tastes like. And so Earl Grey, English breakfast, like normal stuff. But I, I, like, I like tea and when you open the packet, you'll almost always see it says something like, let it steep three to four minutes or longer. Why? Because as it sits in the water, it changes it. It changes the water. And when we let our souls steep in the word or let the word steep in our souls, it changes us. And I know sometimes reading your Bible or studying or listening, you're like, ah, another box to check. Like, no, we gotta sit in the word, study it, cling to it, hold it fast, let it, let it steep in there. Because as you sit under the word and you steep in the word, you soul steep in it, it changes your soul. It shapes you. And it changes your perspective on what it is you're going through. We don't really have, we rarely have the perspective of the Lord. We have to sit under his word and hold fast to it in those moments. Secondly, seek God in prayer. Seek him in prayer. And when I say seek, that's an, that's an action, right? to go after him in prayer. And listen, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it feels good. Sometimes circumstances are good and you're praying the Lord's prayer or you're blessing a meal or you're just thanking him for all the things that he's given you. And sometimes it's emotional and it's hard. Sometimes it's 2 a.m. on the bedroom floor crying, just saying, God, where are you? Where are you? Because we need you now. And third, Sing songs of faith. Sing the songs of faith. And sometimes all you can do in those seasons, you like, I, I don't even know if I can draw myself to sing right now. All I can do is listen. Fine, just listen. And let those words encourage your heart. And you may find as you listen that God gives you the ability to sing once more. There are so many songs that I could recommend and many of you could recommend some. I'm gonna recommend three that have been helpful. It's Morgan to me, and there's been many others, but 
some that I thought fit Psalm 42 and 43 and express some of what the psalmist is doing as he sings these refrains of faith. Hallelujah anyway by Wren Collective. It's an Irish group and we enjoy them, but they say this, I'll find a way to praise you from the bottom of my broken heart because I think I'd rather strike a match than curse the dark. And in the chorus, it goes back and says, even if my daylight never dawns, even if my breakthrough never comes, even if I'll fight to bring you praise because God, you're worthy of it. Raise a hallelujah by Bethel Music. And everybody's got their groups, right? Some of the things that Bethel has come out with, theologically, I'm not always in alignment with them, but this one is, it's a good song. And it's talking about how I'll raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. When I don't understand all the things, I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna praise you. And there's a line in there that says, my weapon is a melody. The way I'll fight back in this moment is I'm gonna sing to the Lord and I'm gonna sing of his goodness. And the third one is probably the most theologically rich and deep of these, I think, but Though You Slay Me by Shane and Shane. It's based on two things. Job 13, 15, where Job, who's been afflicted, says, Lord, though you slay me, yet I will hope in you. And then it's based on his experience of losing his father. His father died in the hospital. His mom came and hugged him. And, and as she hugged him, she just wept, but she began to sing softly and praise the Lord in the midst of that moment. And so they wrote, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. And though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who's all I need. When... Um, my daughter was in the hospital for the second time. And again, some of you know that story, but she was a couple of stints in the hospital last year. There was a night where 2, 3 a.m., I hadn't slept in a long time and just physically, emotionally, spiritually at the breaking point. And some of you have been there. And in those moments, it's hard to know what to do and it's hard to know what to say. And it was songs like this, right? Just singing uh, the songs of faith and saying, Lord, I don't know what to do here and I don't know what you're doing. But though you slay me, yet I will praise you. And though you take from me, I will bless your name because you're no less good in the midst of these bad circumstances than you were and than you are when things are good. I hope you'll take some of those things and I hope that God will use some of those things in your life when you go through the valley that you will choose and make the choice to sing the, ref- the refrains of hope and the refrains of faith, to have that defiant hope in the midst of those moments to say, God, you're still good, even when things are bad. That's the normalcy of suffering. It's part of the human experience. Now, the necessity of suffering. In that Shane and Shane song, they go on and they say this, you struck down to bind me up and you say you do it all in love that I might know you in your suffering. That I might know you, Jesus, in your suffering. That's straight out of Philippians chapter three. Verse 10 Verse 11, so the apostle Paul is speaking to the church and he says, guys, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of just knowing Jesus. So that's what God's doing in my life. He wants me to know him and enjoy him in the midst of everything and follow him with my life. And Paul talks about how I lost everything for the sake of following Jesus. If you know the apostle Paul's story, he was a leader in Judaism. He was a young leader, up and coming, had a great education, great resume, and he lost it all. When Jesus called him and said, I'm saving you and I'm sending you out into the mission field to go preach the gospel, he lost all of his friends. He lost all of the people who respected him. In fact, they turned around and hated him. 
And early on, the church didn't even trust him because they were all like, man, you hate it. You were just throwing us in prison a, a day ago and now you're saying, you know, Jesus is Lord. And so he says, man, I, I lost it all. But he says, I count it all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And he goes on in verse 10 that says, that I may know him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Some translations say that I might know Christ in his sufferings. And when you look at the words of Jesus, you you begin to understand, okay, Jesus said, look, if you're gonna follow me, what do you have to do? Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow. And that's a road marked with suffering, just like it was for Jesus. Jesus suffered in our place, took our sin on the cross He suffered alongside of us. He weeps with us as we sang, right? A God who bleeds and who weeps. But he tells us, as you follow me, your sin is gone, paid for, new life in Christ. It's joy in knowing him. But there's a way in which we can only come to know him deeper and know him more truly and get to enjoy him more fully. And the only way to get there is through the road of suffering. That we pick up our own cross and we follow him. And he doesn't promise a life of comfort or a life of ease what he promises is a life of joy, of abundant joy. But that happens on the road marked with suffering. And I hope that's encouraging to you to know, Lord, as I experience suffering in my life, as I follow you, it's not accidental and it's not purposeless that through every moment of suffering and every difficult circumstance and every day where you just wanna throw your hands up and say, I don't wanna do this anymore. God is shaping you and helping you to know him more in his sufferings and to shape you into the image of his son, Jesus, that you might know him and more fully enjoy him. And listen, that doesn't minimize pain or suffering. Suffering is terrible, but suffering is also temporary and the joy of knowing Jesus is eternal. Suffering is terrible, but also temporary. And the joy of knowing Christ and being with him is eternal. So as you walk that road, I hope to encourage you this morning to say, don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Sing the songs of faith. Make a choice to worship in the midst of the pain and sing in the midst of the storm and trust that your heavenly father, even as the waves and the breakers come over you, trust that your heavenly father, he's there and he's doing something. And you are not separated from his love. That's the last thing I wanna just show to you. Go back to verse eight. As we rejoice in God's steadfast love for us. I told you verse eight is the centerpiece of the whole Psalm. In the midst of all this suffering, in the midst of all the feeling disconnected from God, right in the center is this statement. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Verse eight here, Romans eight in the New Testament, called the greatest chapter in the Bible. The apostle Paul says this, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He goes on to say, no, nothing. I am sure in fact, verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no matter what's ahead, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I wanna wanna leave you with this. Just this statement from the scriptures, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, no darkness, no clouds, no depression, no loss, no chapter closing, no hurt, no pain, no season long enough that can separate you from the love that your heavenly father has for you. And it's expressed, you know it by looking to his son, Jesus. Because the psalmist, right? He says this and he can only look back at what God has done for Israel and he can look forward in hope of the coming of Jesus. We get to look back. We get to look back. We know this in some ways better than what the psalmist does because we can look back and say, we've seen God's greatest demonstration of love for us when he gave his only son and Jesus who suffered with us and for us and took our sins to the cross and who died, was crucified and then resurrected and defeated death and hell and the grave and promises new life to any who come to him, humble themselves and trust him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for those of us uh, here um, just who know you, God, who love you. And I pray right now, Father, for the encouragement of the saints who are just walking through difficult seasons. God, there's been loss, there's been hurt, there's been diagnoses that are scary. And God, some of us are in good seasons and we praise you for that. But we also ask God that you would give us a better perspective and a better understanding of suffering in the Christian life and how we can glorify you, how you will glorify yourself through what we endure and how you will walk with us every step of the way that we might know you more and enjoy you more fully. I wanna give you just a moment to pray. Take a moment just to respond to the Lord with whatever you've heard this morning that has stuck with you. Take a moment and just respond. Father, as we continue to pray, I pray for those who are here today, God, who maybe have come in without a relationship with Jesus. And Lord, we're grateful that they're here. And Father, if they are at a place today where they understand the gospel and want to begin following you, maybe you've led them through a season of suffering, Lord, and they're asking questions of meaning and purpose. Maybe they found it today in you. Lord, we rejoice in that. And Father, if they're not at that place today, then God, I pray that you'll let them know that they are welcome here and that God, you'll encourage their hearts just to continue to listen, to learn and to ask good questions. Lord, we love you and we thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.